I say this for a few things. Like one, there's no right or wrong way to do this, right? No. Um, because the other thing that's also pretty great is just throwing your money in a REIT, right? And letting mm. it do its 6% dividend or whatever it's going to be. But if you're just in it to, you know, cash flow or have a certain quality of life or things, be true to that and constantly be evaluating what you're doing in that context. That's where I'm like, I look at some people, I'm like, I think you're going to end up missing the lifestyle that I think is what you went after because everyone we've ever asked why they're doing it they say freedom 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 and i'm like but if anything you've signed 50 documents now that have done the opposite of freedom and they've locked you down when i was broke i had rich habits when i was broke i had rich habits all right well welcome to the master keys podcast this is chandler it's neil and we're an episode not quite sure and we are a real estate investing podcast yeah we talk about our experiences as real estate investors, also as real estate agents, and just the general news on what's going on out there. Today, we're going to be talking about why we or why you should invest in real estate and why you did it. Uh, we want to get into that. We kind of alluded to it in the last episode, yep. um, but sometimes we think people need to reflect for a second. And when the market's a little slower, that's a great time to do it, kind of reevaluate what your mission is. Um, again, look at the, the key principles of why people invest in it and why it's a good place to do uh, put your money. And then also maybe some on the flip side, why it might not be the perfect fit for what you want to do. So it's super relevant right now. That. Yeah. And it is super relevant right now. And again, it's, it's a great time. It's a bit slower. Uh, so it's not usually when it was super hot and everything was going up, it, it just felt like bye, 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 bye. Um, but yeah, so before we get into that, we like to cover a couple news articles. Yeah. Um, just one more thing. I, I think it's relevant because I've had a lot of people go, why would anyone buy this when they see a <laughs> listing and they get the numbers on it? Yeah. Like, why would anyone buy this? And that's a legitimate question. So we'll question. talk a little bit about that. But yeah, lots of news. As, as always, we're here the first week of April in 2023. So we are f- through the first quarter, Q1 of 2023. That's scary. You didn't need to remind me. It's scary to think about. Um, it, there's some optimism with respect to, you know, inflation's coming down. It looks like all these bank rates are, are on hold for a bit. Uh, but what else is, is drawing your attention? Well, to you know headlines? who's not optimistic? Neil. And I take a lot of precedent in what he says. Not Neil. Well, no. it is Neil usually, but my boy. Your boy, Elon? Elon Musk. What's he Speaking saying? out on real estate. Oh, really? Stay in your lane, bro. I heard something like he said. Guy says he owns no real down. estate. Um, I honestly haven't been following his t- Twitter escapades. Everyone was really pissed at him. I think what he did was pretty aggressive, but it kind of made sense. But anyways, not going down that. That's a whole different sidebar. But article titled, Elon Musk sounds the alarm on real estate, warning a spike in defaults on mortgages and commercial loans could hammer banks. So I don't Ooh. know. Part of me was like, all right, so Elon's just trying to like turn the camera. He's like, can everyone yep. just stop looking at the problems we're facing right now and get really upset about real estate, please? He's also um, a professional troll. He is a professional troll. Um, but he did he did make some good points. And him and a lot of other people said the same thing. But basically, I mean, we all know there's a ton of commercial real estate. Yep. And there's a ton of debt on it. $2.5 trillion. That's going well, to debt. come mature in the next five years. And of that $2.5 trillion, all of it is at a lower rate than today's rate. On top of that, as we all know, office space got hammered by COVID. So a lot of it's more empty than it was pre-COVID. And retail space also got hammered by COVID. And so a lot of it is also in worse shape. And additionally, 70% of the debt that's out there on commercial real estate is held by small cap banks. That's very true. Yep. And oftentimes, 
like the SVBs of the world, they don't have the capacity to handle losing if a big part of their portfolio is tied up in something, right? This is what we talked about multiple times when we went over SVB, but if a big part of their loan portfolio is unable to service and they're not getting those payments, they're not going to service their obligations, which will result in a collapse if they don't have any other options to go to. And in a market like place like this, where big banks are probably like, I don't really want to take that over right now. Yeah. So, and people here locally will get a, a sense of that as well, because if you're financing commercial property, especially smaller scale commercial property, chances are you're not doing it through one of the big five lenders. And it wouldn't be that different in the States. You can imagine, um, like when a, when a major bank looks at a commercial property, one of the main things they look at is where is it, right? If it's in a non-primary market, a lot of times they do not want to touch it at all. Uh, and in the States, you can imagine how many, you know, kind of non-prime markets there might be or like regional variances. And that's one of the reasons they have so many banks. But these smaller banks are more likely to do um, loans on these commercial properties, to your point. And a lot of times they're owner-occupied as well. And you can imagine if the bank, if the company itself is already struggling and then they're up for renewal, you know, it, it could be a mess on the borrower's behalf, which then becomes a mess on the lender's behalf, which is these relatively small banks. They're still big banks, but... Long story short, because Elon said it, now I'm fully set Well, I, it's the, all going down. Uh, and yeah. so again, he is a troll, <sighs> so I think he looked at some of these banks that probably do a lot of the financing for maybe some of his competitors. I would not be surprised at all if he's just like throwing this, you know, Molotov cocktail into these banks to see if he can screw over some of his competitors. Someone pissed them off at a party that's like a heavy commercial real estate lender or investor, and he's like, I'm going to screw you over with a little tweet. Well, totally, because the other thing that, that this was a great lesson is, is how sentiment matters a lot. Because once the bank starts to struggle, then everyone has this heightened fear that that bank is going to collapse. So what are they going to do? They're going to go take their money out, and then Which that is not there. calls. <laughs> but that causes the collapse. So it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It is. But he, what he's saying is legit. Yeah, it's legit. Commercial, it made sense. Like Offices took a beat down. There's a lot of people shifting back, but there's also a lot of new work environments where... Instead of needing 50,000 square feet, they're bringing it down to 20,000, and there's a lot of shared workspaces and flex spaces. Um, and it makes sense on if there's higher rates, like you're going to get beat down. The only thing that I kind of think might help save the office is, I, I shouldn't say this, because this was more of a Halifax thing. Halifax office has been, well, conversions, but 50% of Halifax office has been empty since the start of time anyway. So they're like, <laughs> yo, we good. We, we actually don't even need any tenants. Yeah, we, like, we build that vacancy into yeah, the numbers. Yeah, we, we built yeah. the vacancy into the numbers. We're running at like a 12 cap because nobody's willing to take any risk on this. Yeah. So rates got to go a lot further for this to, to be a bad situation. But in big cities like Toronto, San Francisco, New York, I've heard office space is more like desirable and it has been in the past than residential. Like I was talking to a guy in Toronto a few years ago and he's like, man, office space like goes multiple offer. Really? Like, it, like if like a, if a proper full floor comes up in downtown TO, people are beating themselves over the heads to try and get in there hmm. uh, because it's so hard to get it. And address and things like that matter, right? Like it, it's mm -hmm. like, okay, you got to be on Young Street. You got to be on whatever like King Street, yeah. whatever the main streets are. Um, and then it, like it's it's a thing for the mindset of your employees. Yeah. You consume your clients. And like, so anyways, he's, uh, now Elon, Elon said it. I'm pretty much completely against real estate. You guys should probably look at buying something else. Um Buy the Twitter. The market's going to zero. You should probably take all your money and throw it into Twitter. Yeah. I'll start paying for the check mark. What are they going to charge for that? He said he's doing a... I don't actually know. I don't think that ever panned out. People are like, no, I'm good. <laughs> um, so on the same note, I have another article that I came up with from the Globe and Mail. Okay. And I thought this was kind of neat because it was, it was fitting and it followed the same pace is 
Calgary's office sector has been notoriously bad. Like, if you're from Calgary, you'll, you'll know this. But they, I don't even know what their vacancy was. I want to say, like, 70%. Like, and they built a ton of beautiful, brand-new office buildings. And I think kind of with the booms and busts of the oil industry, they learned to run really lean and efficient. And so they got a lot less space. Um, but during a boom, they obviously cranked right. it up. Yep. And then there was a bit of a bust. And so then they started to learn to, to take on less space. And so now there's just a ridiculous amount of empty office space. Um, I have some friends there who ended up leasing space. And they said, because they were a big company, they got five years free rent or 10 years free rent or something to take on a space what? in Calgary. 10 years Free. That's amazing. It was something ridiculous, like just pay utilities and taxes or something. Like there was no base rent. It was just yeah, cam, yeah. just operating yeah. cost of the building. Well, probably because I, I've heard of uh, big, well, land leases do this a lot, right? When you're, a lot of these industrial parks land lease and, and when they get a, a marquee tenant like a Costco or a Walmart, they will often lease them the land for free for yeah. 30 or 50 years because they know if they come, everyone, everyone else will come. Yeah. Exactly. So if you put a marquee tenant in an office building, you can sometimes rely on other people to to fill the rest of the space and you collect on them. And I think that was part of it. And then for some of you guys who may not know, but a lot of times in these office space uh, setups and commercial leases, you pay a base rent, which is like your rent rent. And then you pay what's called a CAM, which is like a common area maintenance and uh, expenses portion of your rent. And that goes towards things like insurance, taxes, maintenance of the building, snow plowing, hallway cleaning, all that crap. And so like in this situation, they would get 10 years of free base rent. So you never actually pay for the space. You just pay for the basic maintenance, like the cleaning and yeah. stuff that you get and the taxes for that space. So um, utilities only. Pretty anyways, deal. this is what I thought was interesting. Not that Calgary has a ton of empty space, but there's a company called AgriPlay, which is vertical farming. And they are now taking on three floors of an office tower in downtown Calgary oh, to start my God. growing veggies. Isn't that Ooh, sick? I'm into that. I am really into that. Huh. The first thing that came to mind, though, was like, man, the humidity issues they're about to have. That's what I was 100% thinking. Like, gonna, like, like grow up inside in an office You're going to be upstairs and come back into your cubicle, and you're like, there's mushrooms growing on the floor. Yeah. I mean... They're coming a, out a, of the carpet. A good new building, big ventilation system. I could see it. Maybe put it on the top floor, things like that. <laughs> it says, AgriPlay convinced the landlord that his office space would be improved by growing large quantities of tomatoes, cucumbers, and lettuce. <laughs> Man, interesting. We are no different than any other office user except our furniture grows food. And we have a f- three floors full of manure and water. Oh, but actually, these places don't use manure. Actually, they, they, they're all like in the little sacks. So they probably just have... And they do drip water, yeah, so it's like probably not up, bad. Do they actually hang upside down, some of these? I've seen this stuff yeah, too. Yeah, they, they do. I think they're down. like hanging. It says, when we move out... He's like, well, even better, when we move out, we'll leave a clean base structure that has been upgraded with smart building infrastructure. It's actually a net gain for the landlord. Easy there, big rig, but... This guy's got a, a quite the pitch. Man, I'm Thoughts into on that. that. I'm really into that. Taylor's going to empty all of his apartments and start growing well, I tomatoes. Mean, tomatoes are expensive. I'm just thinking of then you can do this in urban centers downtown. You get your shipping costs down. Mm-hmm. You know, it can go right to the grocer down the road. It's pretty cool. You, you could have yeah. like a little superstore in the ground level. Um, it's crazy to think that that would be the highest and best use of that space. Sunlight? Mm-hmm. Soil and pesticides are not required. A small amount of water and a stable feed of nutrient solution. Yeah, I think that's the whole... Uh, I saw saw somewhere else someone talking about this growing method, and it seems like the craziest thing ever. I mean, it might... They're saying they use they 10% to, of the energy a traditional warehouse vertical farm uses. AgriPlay is coming in hot. 
And I think that's a huge sector because we all know that one, farmland's being eroded, mm-hmm. traditional farming methods with pesticides and all that is kind of facing some opposition, some rising costs. Then, you know, the climate change and part of the issue we're having with our grocery costs, whether we like to admit or not, is that, you know, once the U.S. shuts down production because certain things aren't economically viable, then it just kills us. But if you could be making this stuff just downtown in one of these office buildings, it's yeah, I don't genius. It. Imagine you could just like, you could be chilling on the eighth floor. And then at lunchtime, you want to go for a walk. You're on the fifth. You walk around the fields. Have a little salad. You grab you grab your own. Like you you pick it. It's yeah, so yeah. fresh. There's no dirt or anything. So you don't have to worry about it. There's no dirt or fertilizer. So you don't got to wash that shit. Yeah. You just make mm. your salad on the go. Man, that's interesting. I'd like to see how that works. I'm, I, I am sold on that. That's I remember <clears throat> there was go. an opportunity, a company come to Halifax that was peddling um, container vertical farms. And I almost... I almost like a shipping container one. I almost traded my car for a container full of lettuce. Um, and I kind of still wish I did, because it'd be kind of cool. Was that jazz cabbage? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, no, I honestly kind of wish I did because it like it would have been a really neat project. And we'll talk about this later. Like this is the whole concept of investing in real estate. But um, yeah, so anyways, offices are a very weird sector, and there's a good chance law are gonna go belly up. Maybe well, now's the time, everybody, you take all your money. And prepare for an office tower to go belly up, buy it, turn it into a farm. Or residential units. I'm still high on com- uh, conversions. The problem with conversions, that. I've spent a little bit of time looking into conversions. Um, it's hella expensive. And so when you, <sighs> like, yeah, hella expensive. And office towers aren't as built to handle um, residential conversions as you might think. Yeah, it's a concrete structure, but oftentimes the floor heights are way higher. Like in an apartment, they might be eight, nine mm, feet. Wasteful, an office yeah. could be 12 feet. So it's wasteful. It makes beautiful apartments. Uh, but like I'm looking at one across from us here, and it's a, it's got, I mean, those might be double floors, but it yeah, looks like it's got floors, massive yeah. ceilings. Um, yeah. Additionally, like you have to strip everything back. So when you look at it, you actually have to say, this building, all it's worth is the land, the concrete, that's pretty much it. You might be able to save an exterior, but you got to start putting opening windows on there. You have to do all new HVAC for all the units. You might have to, like, you can't, like, centralize yeah. systems and stuff. Right. And so once you add it all up, it's actually worth less than land, the development land, and the concrete that sits there. Because then there's all the demolition costs. You'll spend millions demolishing and preparing yeah. to establish for a new thing. And so it seems really spicy. The, and then the other thing is, like I said, opening windows. Balconies? Like, office towers are flat walls. Yeah, which I, I think my thought with it is you've got to be in an area where people are looking for just tiny, tight, simple units, like a place to rest their head and nothing more, because you're not going to have balconies, most likely, right? Um, it has to be lean and people. mean. The not other thing the is, people. if you're designing the perfect apartment building, you try to get a rectangular shape. You ripped on me for the cage homes, and this is now... <laughs> Make the cages smaller. <laughs> uh, I think I ripped on you for not knowing what city they were in. Okay, all right, all right. Twice, I think. All right, no, moving on, moving on. Um, I've had some, I've had some, fall, some false city call-outs on this. Um, but if, if you're looking at a, a residential structure, you ideally get this long rectangle so you can do one hallway with a bunch of apartments. And a lot of office towers kind of weren't built that way. They're no, a little bit not. more square shaped, and as a result, you get funky layouts, Fire and, and maybe not brutal. as many, and, and not as many units and things like that. So it is a little tricky. Uh, I think Elliot, we're gonna have Elliot on here at some point. We're gonna show his building over here in Dartmouth that he did. A really smart. That was approach. a hotel, though. Yeah, it was, it was a hotel. He's also he, doing an office building, though. That that's true. 
a uh, little easier to convert the hotel, but you do lack for things like extra space. Um, but they're having like a huge common area because the lobby had, or the hotel had like a really big lobby and stuff like that. So was it a multi-story lobby? Uh, well, apparently like the original design of the hotel had like an atrium component to it. And when they demoed the place back, they opened it back up. It's going to be sick. No way. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. And I think that hotel actually had patios. In, yes, it did. They all had patios, which is crazy. Who like built-in built built patios. I, I, he, he ripped the concrete off in the glass. It, it looks very cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, We're gonna preview that building at some point here. Yeah, it's we'll go over close. there. It'd be cool to do his office tower too. I don't know how far along he is on that, but um, anyways, those are those are my office tower woes uh, and Elon's woes. And so, just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, I, I got something to throw at you. Um, job vacancies. They just published all of the the recent mm. stats on job vacancies and how they're dropping like a stone. Um, Mm-hmm. Both in terms of the actual number and then the the rate of vacancy. Mm-hmm. So you can liken this to a vacancy rate in, you know, the rental market, except kind of like inverse. Inverse like, where low is bad. Yeah, like there's <laughs> few job vacancies, which means there's going to be downward pressure on wages. And w- one of the things, you know, as inflation or as as these um, deflationary tactics go into place, one of the things is trying to put downward pressure on wages, and it's mm. one of the hardest ones because. Obviously, wages are sticky, which means, you know, once you have a negotiated contract, you don't voluntarily go in there and accept less money one day. So it's hard for wages to come down. We're even going to see this with a lot of the construction stuff in labor, right? Like the labor prices went through the roof and well, it's, uh, it's hard to convince someone to come back <clears throat> to work on Monday for 10% less than what they were there for on Friday, right? Like it takes a while for that stuff to come down, but things like, you know, small job vacancy positions and, and um, less demand in the labor market is a good sign if we're trying to get inflation back under control because wage inflation was a big thing, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with this because wage inflation was a big thing. It's, I'm happy because of that, even though wage inflation is required, really, because the cost of living is so high now and it's so hard to get by. Um, the construction, I'm going to go on a little bit of a, a side tangent because I was talking with someone right before we came here. And... It might be a bit of a hyper-local thing, not hyper-local, but it'll be a semi-localized thing where construction wages go um, up and down based on your city, not more so the general environment. And the reason I say that, I was talking to someone who said they have a buddy who runs a forming company in Toronto, and he just comes and works here in the summertime, and he said they were charging double to do forming, twice the price of Toronto as they were in Toronto, like that's to do it in Halifax. They do it. And I'm like, that's insane. He said, he said he, I, he bought a condo it. here just to come work here in the summer times and bring his guys here. And he said he's, really? he might just live here permanently and do this because he's like, it's insane. Like he's coming back for another summer and he's got all the bids out and they're twice the price yeah. of Toronto. Yeah, we have a concrete. We have a serious concrete problem. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, he's got to be paying his guys good then. Like if he's, he's making it rain. He's like, I usually do this, let's say, for 10 grand. I can still do it for like 10 grand, but instead I'm charging 20. Yeah. It's pure profit. So, like, for some areas, you might still see that. But I guess you're right. It quickly will dry up if a few more projects get canceled. And then, oh, now there's four bidders and only two projects. Yeah. But doesn't that quickly get dried up? Because it's hard to, again, cut wages. It really is. Well, I was just thinking, like, like, it's it's hard to go and be like, hey, I'm going to pay you less now. And as the person there, especially in a union environment or a, a contracted environment, like, no, mm. I signed on to this job for two years. So in the same way that mortgage renewals have to come up, job and independent contractors, like those contracts need to run their course 
and then be renegotiating what could be a new labor That's market. So, so, so there's a time period. So wild about inflation now is it's it's permanent. Like it's there's, there's a level of permanence in it. Like it doesn't it can't go back because there's so many things that are impacted. Yeah, totally. If it lasts for any longer than like two weeks, it just starts getting this like trickle effect of like, well, to make up for it, we added these people on, yeah. and so now our cost is up here, and we bump these wages. And all, like and everything down the line, and so we were so in inflation for so long that every single part of the line got bumped, and like like you're saying, there's no way to go back. Well, that's a tricky thing with, uh, you know, we, we we both were supportive of the horse off the barn uh, minimum wage, yeah, increase. But can you imagine if you're the person who's like was making fifty cents more or a dollar more than the minimum wage rate, and mm. you're like, well, damn man, like if they all got a bump, I feel like I should get a bump, and that's always been the argument against it is like, and then that bump is going to be passed on to the consumer at the end. And then the real value of that wage increase dissipates in, in a quick period. Um, but it's mm. hard to know what the other solution is unless you get into price fixing, which is, you know. I think Canada's going to do a lot of price fixing. That's a little, little side, but I'm just going to throw that out there. Well, that's, that's all in that there. Um, speaking of Canada making rules. <clears throat> oh, the foreign buyer thing? Yeah, foreign buyer ban. Yeah, yeah. They made some amendments because we were freaking out. And I feel like maybe they listened to the pod and they just addressed directly what Chandler was concerned about. I'm going to open with this one because he was very upset about this. This is my, I was right. Very upset about yeah, this. Look at me. The ban, fucking, you need one more button on the bottom of that shirt, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, this thing shooting from here up? Um, you need to crop this. Number one change back. on the foreign <laughs> buyer. back for people that weren't listening. Just lean back. <laughs> um, the foreign buyer ban had four changes. The first change I'm going to announce, which Chandler's going to be really fired up for, the ban no longer applies to work permit holders. Yeah, provided Which they're kind of just I think, here sense. for like 183 days consistently, and they haven't bought more than one other property. Um, yes, yeah, it makes sense. Makes total sense. Said it made sense. I and talked to Igor about this before, and he's like, "Yeah, it kind of makes you feel like you made a difference. All of our complaining made a difference." It just he was we're pretty vocal about it. I was pretty vocal about it. You were vocal about it. It's because we're yelling into a microphone. Everyone's oh. screaming, but but also like sending uh, strongly worded emails and stuff like that. It adds up. Did you send a strongly worded email? Send a strongly worded email. You didn't send a strongly worded email. Yeah, yeah, I sent a strongly worded email. This guy. Um, the ban no longer applies to vacant land. Yep. That's a... And development as well. The ban no longer applies in the purchase of for the purpose of development. That's a fishy, fishy <laughs> one. That one's a little fishy because... You Why, can be like, Neil? Well, what, is it defined what development means? Oh, I see what you're saying. That's, yeah. uh, you know, like it's... Uh, repairs, renovations, and remodeling do not count as development. But like developing but a some expansions... Home? Or remodels that I are... I think it would have to be substantial. Do you know what this word means? Tantamount? Tantamount, yeah, equivalent to. Okay. Some expansions or remodels that are tantamount to the construction of a new building or a change of use, such as one that would create a new residence property. So basically, like I'm buying this house to put in, turn it into a duplex. Uh, I mean, maybe. Mm. I don't know how, how small they would mm. they would get at it. but Because um, I think there was a lot of concern that some of these things hindered new construction development of housing. And there was another one uh, which Definitely. we're probably going to touch on, but uh, pre- <coughs> previously, if, if ownership of a corporation was more than uh, 3%. This is the last one. The yeah. foreign control threshold is now 10%. Yeah. And where it really hit the fan was REITs. Oh, yeah, a lot of if REITs. You, yeah. A REIT, as we all know what that is, Real Estate Investment Trust, was owned 3% or more by foreign entities or foreign people. It was considered part of the ban. Yeah, exactly. They've upped that now to 10%, which makes a lot of sense. I don't think... Don't even know if they should be. I guess they should be included because you could just form a REIT and then go buy. This is the thing. It's like 
I feel like they could probably opt that to like fifteen or twenty percent though, just to. But I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what percentage of REITs are owned like that. Um, but those are the four four things. So yeah, the the biggest one for I mean, the one thing that everyone could agree on is that there was no sense and it added nothing to the Canadian market. In fact, it hurt the Canadian market um, to have people speculatively buying or laundering money through the purchase of pre construction condos and to just sit there. Whoa, there whoa, empty. whoa, 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 whoa. What? It does hurt the Canadian economy. Whoa. I, I think it hurts the housing market from a, 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 a cost of living standpoint. Cost of living standpoint and a, um, I disagree. Kind of an, an overvaluation. Okay. I disagree. How does, that, how does that hurt the market by adding more inventory? No, no, sorry. I mean, people just speculatively buying them and sitting there empty, hoarding, hoarding, some, hoarding supply. Empty buys, I guess. But yep. honestly, a lot of those are expensive units. And a lot of the projects might not get off the ground. Okay, are we talking no, no, about this? Okay, yeah, these 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 are these are, are are fair arguments. I just mean I think I can understand why people wanted to curb that level of speculative buying. I don't think anyone in their right mind thought we really need to. The vacancy tax these. was good. I like yeah. that. We we definitely need these PRs to not be able to buy a house. Like that was yeah, so yeah. flawed. Yeah. From the outset, it almost it really makes you wonder sometimes, like sure. who's making these decisions? Well, yeah, how do they get like, to, how do they get the point of passed and then? They modify them so short. How does that? Can you imagine like like how little consultation did they do that you could roll something out and it's almost universally ripped to shreds, um, but like no one that was involved in the consulting was like, this probably seems, is a bad idea. It's like <laughs> if you went on like, what's that show Family Feud where it's like the most popular answer is like, how are you missing the number one, <laughs> right? Like everyone else is universally agreeing like, well, that's dumb. Um, and yet... They did it anyway, which means no one in the room had their finger on the pulse. That right? same person, yeah. if they do end up ever hearing this, is going to put a like restrictive ban on Portland Street specifically. Well, just no weird, new yeah. construction. Yeah, They're seriously. not going to let you get a piece of grass out of the ground before shutting you down. Yeah, this is the problem with uh, speaking your mind. You don't want to get shut down. But you know, at the federal level, it just was really surprised how they missed the mark on that. But those little amendments, that, that's that's a good thing. They are a good thing, and they they were very well needed. Um, the same note, and this was something that I thought was interesting, is cottage real estate rush slows down. Oh, yeah. That's not um, surprising. And I think we kind of all saw that coming, and that's the same concept of like where location really plays into account and where people make their money is really important. And what we talked about, secondary properties, secondary toys, all the things are going to start to go. Um, yeah. And so everyone's predicting that the market's going to fall about 5%. For secondary properties, um, with the exception of Alberta, Alberta is is touted to be the place to be this year. And talking oh, to agents there, it is yeah. they're they're booming. Um, but uh, it had soared thirty percent pre or during COVID, as everything did. Um, but now now they're expecting it to come down five percent this year. I would honestly expect to see it come down more, uh, depending on where the market goes. If people are losing jobs, um. That side of the things might start to get beat up. The other thing is, I don't know if a lot of these Airbnb models are going to stick through. Oh, 100%. I don't I 100%. Don't I've been feeling that way for a while, and it's going to be municipality by municipality, but the wave is coming. Um, some municipalities are going to embrace it, and it's going to just continue to be what it was. Others are flat out not. Uh, you're going to be taxed on it. The, the tax is coming. If you look at how the government at all levels are trying to claw back money because they're short cash right now, um, you know, and they're trying to curb spending and, and all these things. They put a bunch of money out there. Now they're trying to get as much of it back as humanly possible. They're going mm -hmm. to tax these uh, in all kinds of different ways. And one of the things that they're going to come for is all these people are going to put them on the market. They're going to get you on HST. Because how many people do, out there do you know that 
haven't necessarily considered the HST implications of their Airbnb sale. Everyone. Oh, yeah. I mean, HST who in our has? region, but sales tax in other regions. Yeah. Who has? I mean, people who ran them it, like it, a business with an can accountant. Can they do that, like, though? Hey, it wasn't man. mandated. What's that? Like, they don't, there was no set rules that says. Ooh, I don't, I don't know about that. Like, it was, a, it was pretty clear that it was a c- commercial use, wasn't it? Short-term rental? Yeah. A little fixed-term lease for three days? I mean, were people signing these as fixed-term leases? I mean... Huh. Either way, it's going to be messy, and they're going to come for that money. You think so? I think they're I've heard they're coming after Serb pretty hot and horny. Oh, yeah. I have a friend. Um, I don't. I should know the name of his podcast. He has a podcast. I'll go shout it out next time, Calvi. Um, it's a physio podcast. Anyways, he it's called said... The Joint? Could, oh, God. should be. It, it could be, honestly. Is it really? Oh. Yeah. Um, mm. He I, he might not want me to say this, but I'm going to say it anyways. He had received Serb, and he was rightly entitled to it um, because his practice of work was unable to be completed during COVID, mm-hmm. so yeah, he, he actually had to take it. But he got a letter, and he knows a bunch of people that got the same letter, like identical letter, basically de- calling and demanding the money back because he's now filed tax returns. Yeah. Um, and he's saying, like, he's going through a huge process to basically fight it and prove that he doesn't pay the money back. But he said he knows people that were in the same boat as him that just assumed that they had to give it back and they were kind of afraid, yep. and they just paid it back. Yeah. But he said they it's rightfully there where they followed all the rules and were owed that money. Um, if you were the they're, government, they're, they're just sending that letter to everybody. Like you got, sir. Why would you not? Everybody gets the letter. Everybody gets the letter. Man, if ten percent of the people pay it back, that is millions and millions of dollars that you billions. get just for the cost of postage. Yeah. Why would you not at least ask for it back? People say no. You can then go from there. I'm going to send all the banks that I have mortgages with a little postage note. Hey, can I have my money back? Can I have my last two payments back, please? Um, but yeah, he said, he said it's a pain in the ass to fight it too. Okay. Uh, and of course, the office is in like Winnipeg or something. And I'm like, the place with the least people. And so no one can go into the office. It's like you can't go chat with someone. You have to like z- fucking make a meeting with a Zoom call to send in a letter and wait six weeks to get a response and you don't know what's going to happen. And the the implication of it is like, okay, yeah, sure. No, let's, uh, let's go ahead and open up your tax return then. Like, do you really want to go down that avenue mm-hmm. of opening up your tax return with CRA and the federal government? Like, is that never, the kind never, of process you want to go through? If you haven't through? been there, don't go there. Um, so, Actually, I went there once, and I actually got more money back, which was kind of cool. And I've heard that cool. a few times, but on average, I wouldn't, I wouldn't place it, that It's back. more so just like the, the headache and stress and, and the process. It's like going to court over a small dispute. Right, like you ask any lawyer, like, all right, what's the damages? Like, oh, five thousand bucks, ten thousand bucks. And by the time you litigate this, it's not worth your time. You might as well just pay it. And they make it so right? psycho that, like, if they do prove that you're wrong, then you get charged interest on the back date Ooh. and all this. Like, they're yeah. so aggressive. Anyways, spin this all the way back to the cottage country stuff. The other, uh, obviously, giant factor outside of the fact that people, the Airbnb mall might not work. People are having a lot of costs to carry. Uh, those items, foreign buyer ban did not apply to these, uh, right? Because they're outside of city centers. So we already knew that didn't apply to the foreign buyer ban. But World Bank is saying that the economy in the entire world is slowing quite rapidly because it grew quite rapidly. Yeah. And as part of that, that's really going to impact these secondary properties um, because that market does have a lot of foreign buyers. And so it, the world really plays into that. So even if your city's booming, you could still have a really slow market in there. I know a lot of, I don't say most, but a lot of the nice 
recreational properties in our province are from European buyers. Yep. Like a good percentage of them. Like it, it, if you live in any of the certain areas, you can expect within like every five doors, you're going to come across someone that does not live in this province. Man, I had a client we bought when uh, and he lives in Bedford and we're there on the on the patio and this couple was paddling around. They're from the States and like an obscure place in the States, like random, like no connection to Nova Scotia. And then they were just identifying people on Lake. They're like, oh, they're from Germany. They're from Germany. They're from the UK. We're from the States. Yeah, it's well. Hey, thanks for listening to this point. Don't forget to like, follow, subscribe, comments down below, especially on this next segment, because what we're going to do is we're going to talk about why we got into real estate and how maybe that's evolved and why we're staying in real estate or even some things we're thinking about, you know, our goals moving forward and how they're different and, and what that might mean for how we invest or not invest as the case may be. And we would love to know what you're doing, how you're feeling about this market, what your plans are, why you got into it, if that still is your is your motivation. So comment below, but also keep listening. Uh, I want to throw something at you here. I want to do a little quiz. Do it. Um, I'm going to name t- for you. I crush these quizzes. Like I'm, oh, I'm yeah. a little tired yeah. now, but I did have a Snickers. So. Um, I'm going to name the city. Okay. And then you're going to tell me the um, income required. I think we kind of did some, one of this with me, and I actually legitimately did crush it, but now we're mm-hmm. going to do it uh, w- with you as well. The income required to purchase the average home. To get parking in front of the club. The average home. Uh, Vancouver, what's the income required for the average home? Oh, God, I did do this with you. Stand by, everybody. $237,000. It's actually only 173000 as the average home Budgetical price. Budget sticks, man. I was going to say one hundred eighty-seven, and for some reason, I cranked it up because of interest rates. Yeah, so one hundred seventy-three thousand is okay. the income right. required right. for the average home in Vancouver. The average home being about one point one million. Shit but box. here's the catch: the median household income in Vancouver is around ninety-nine thousand. So the median household income does not buy you an average home. In fact, it doesn't There's buy you... Almost no ever. province that's anywhere close except for Alberta. Ah, uh, well, let's go through this and see if uh, Neil is okay, right. Okay. What is the average income required for... Or what is the income required for the average home in Toronto? Mm, 158. It's 168. Very close. The average home in Toronto now is just a shade under 1.1 million. That's been falling rapidly. Problem there... Median household income is ninety six thousand. So again, like requirement. Half. Yeah, it's 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 almost half. Yep, that's household income too. That's two people. Yep. Let's go to uh, a place that's maybe a little bit more affordable okay, on also, our list. Just a side note: everyone like is like, yo, I'm moving to Toronto, the promised land, to make those big buckaroons. And that's telling me that the average person in Toronto mm-hmm. is making forty eight G dogs. The median. Yep. Median. Yeah. So let's go somewhere a little bit more affordable. Let's go Hamilton, Burlington. Um, so what uh, is the income required da, 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 da. for the average home in Hamilton, Burlington area? 153. Oh, even cheaper. 128. Not Ooh. too bad. The average home in Burlington is 831,000. They're free. Uh, so the income required is 128 grand. And the median income is 104,000. So almost. Oh. Almost parity there. It's getting close. It's getting close. Uh, let's keep going bad. here. Let's keep going. You were talking about uh, Bring me Alberta. Alberta. I want to know Alberta. So average what required. is the mm. income required for the average home in Calgary, Alberta? 116. Get ready to move to Alberta. 80000 is the income required for the average home in Alberta or in Calgary. Uh, and the average home in Calgary is 518000 And the median household income? 120. 100, just under 110. So, Dude, they're the only place with the right ratios. 
they're in the green here. If you uh, if you lived in Calgary, your median household income would be one hundred and nine thousand. If they could uh, shift the Calgary, requirement would be eighty thousand. You could buy a house for five hundred eighteen grand. They could take Calgary and shift it. Money to spare. Thirty minutes west. You could just pick the whole city up <laughs> and move it thirty minutes west, closer to the mountains. Let's let's talk about our sister city, Ottawa. What is oh, the just came income required for an average home, average priced home in Ottawa? One sec here. I was just there, so I'm, I'm feeling very... You're feeling in touch with the local yeah, market Yeah, I'm today. pretty dialed in here. I have no idea what their price average is. I'm going to say 96K. Ooh, you're on fire, baby. Just under a shade under 95,000. Buys oh, you yeah. the average priced home in Ottawa, which this. is 613,000. Mm. And the median household income in Ottawa is 121,000. What? So they're doing great. Ottawa's a very affordable place based Sorry, on median Ottawa's income. making more money than Calgary? Correct. Median it's household. all government jobs, so maybe, maybe that's... Let's bounce what? to Montreal. You know what? You know what it, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Slow your roll for one second there. Some of these look pretty good. How in the... No, you know what it is? It's in, in, in Ottawa, everyone's on like T4 bi-weekly paychecks. I'm going with Alberta. There's a lot more incorporated people. I'm throwing... Okay. There, there is no way... Unless it's just a spending culture's larger, but also realize like you don't need as high of a before tax income in Alberta, right? That's yes, why the, the spending power goes a bit further. And, well, on, and we're we, we're talking we specifically all Calgary, know right? Someone that moved Alberta. We're talking to make specifically Calgary. Four million dollars. True. Fort Max probably has a big number. All right, okay. let's go to Montreal. Ooh, this is a unique, unique yeah. environment. It's big city. We oui, oui. <laughs> income required oui, oui. for the average also home price week. in Montreal. Uh, way lower. Seventy-eight grand is the income required for the average home in Montreal. I want to which is five hundred and three thousand. You know what's sick about Montreal? The food scene. That food's good there. The food is good. A lot of cured meats. I feel good drinks. Some cheeses. Yeah, man. Breakfast vibes are great. Lots of good cheeses. Oh, so good. Charcuterie. Uh, and the median household income in Montreal is ninety six grand. Let's go to Edmonton. Wow, there's Let's so talk many about in the it. green. Let's talk about it. A lot of like the affordability is not, maybe not as Edmonton. Bad. Oh god, uh, your requirement is going to be uh, shocking. Seventy two. Way lower. What? Fifty six grand no. is the income required for the average right. home because the average home in Edmonton is only three hundred sixty five thousand dollars. Can you believe that? What is, why is yeah. Edmonton, I guess, it's so cold? It's and so listen north. And listen to this. The median household income is nearly double that. So we're going to a situation where in some cities, the income you would need is close to double what the, uh, the median income actually is to get a house. In this case, in Edmonton, the median household income is 107, but you only need 56 to buy a house. Let's go here closer to us. I'm going to pop here. Yeah, I, okay, I got a point to make with this whole thing at the end of this. So Halifax, Dartmouth... Oh God! Median income is gonna have to be, uh, eighty-nine. Uh, close, seventy-five for okay. a forty-four house. But the median income is ninety-eight thousand. So again, not as much of a spread there. We're green though. We're green. We're slightly green here in Halifax, Dartmouth. Um, what? Yeah, yeah. Because like our, our, our like four hundred eighty-four thousand is relatively cheap in the grand scheme of things. And if you go to Regina I was and say, Saskatoon, average four eighty-four, but like real sweet, yeah, you know. I mean, you're out there on the streets. It's that's not buying you a lot of house. Listen to this in Regina and Saskatoon, right? Oh, these the, are going to be ridiculous. The incomes required there in Saskatoon fifty-seven k, in Regina forty-seven k. Those buy you the average priced home, 
and those are 372 and 310 respectively. And the median household income, almost double those numbers, 102 and 106. In Regina, the median household income is 106,000 and it only takes 47 or 48 grand to buy the average price home in Regina. In Regina, you're, leaving, you're leaving comfortable. Living comfortable in Regina. But you're living in Regina. Whoa. Joking. Joking. Um, Shout out to the Bald Prairie Realtor there. Uh, Newfoundland and Labrador Labrador will wrap up with that. Average required income for, or household income required for the average home is only 43,000. That buys you the average home in Newfoundland and Labrador, which is 276,000. And the median household income, again, is double that requirement at 86 grand. So what this tells you, there are still a few, a number of affordable places in the country, yeah. uh, the ones that aren't Vancouver, Toronto, Victoria, Niagara region, Hamilton, Burlington, Windsor X, uh, or Kitchener, Waterloo, mangled. then Cahuarta Lakes, Barrie and District. So French. You know, all the stuff uh, that goes without saying. So there's still some affordability out there. I know it may not seem like it, but I thought that was a this pretty is cool little A little weird study. one to me. And this is where I'm like, there's something larger at play because a lot of people I, I talked to were like, real estate goes crazy where the money is. But yeah. your stats just showed me that that is not the case at all. Because mm, not only, not only, not only was it that the ratios were off, it was that the income averages were way higher in places that had way cheaper real estate. I'm gonna throw a, another thought at you. Like, what's the dealio there? Now, this is where I'm like, well, it, I think it more plays into how good the lifestyle is there. Because when you look at Vancouver, it's sick, but. Is the lifestyle in Toronto awesome? And I guess maybe it is in some sense. Like, if you're into big cities, they have everything. Like, it's a big city, national, like, major league teams. They have the the water frontage. Um, like, they have all the stuff. And you're close to the states. You're a central hub for flying anywhere in the world. Like, and now they're so big, they literally would have any thing you could think of if you're any other nationality, you can go to a store that simply, like, has everything you guys grew up with. Or, like, it's... Yeah, okay, I guess I so. I think it's got to be more GDP-based than than median income. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. perhaps there's a correlation between income discrepancy or income gap in these areas and how high real estate prices are. Because I would say that, yes, the average household income might be higher in some of these areas, but do they have the big disparity between like super so earners like a bunch and of people. then kind of cheap labor? So like in Toronto, it was 90 or whatever, so it'd be like a ton of people at... 50 or 45 and then the other portion is 130 550 yeah yeah it's a good point it's a good point it's a good point but then which came first the chicken or the egg right did that income disparity somehow drive real estate or is it um, just a shitload of fraud <laughs> who knows who knows but you know that's that's my yeah but all right guys our key player of the week this week's a little different and that is Morris Strzok and the Strug family, and we're call- shouting them out for the great things that they've done for the community locally here. Um, they have donated millions of dollars to the university, uh, their community, their churches. Additionally, most recently, they sold 300 units to the Affordable Housing Trust, or Housing Trust of Nova Scotia, sorry, um, allowing them to preserve 300 units and keep them affordable. So I just want to shout out the Strug family, thank them for what they're doing, and really hopefully inspire people to do more things like that. Um... All right, I think that's everything I have, and I think that might be everything you got. Yeah, I think so. That's, I think it's everything I got. And we want to talk about why to invest in real estate. Yeah, let's talk about why we started to invest in real estate. Why did you start? Um, I've, I've told the story in here before. It was, it was kind of a mixture of things, but 
I just wanted to have a certain level of financial stability. And I literally looked through the Forbes 500 and I saw what was the most common denominator there. And it was real estate. And then I started looking into it. At the same time, I had also gone through the process of having a bunch of little businesses selling car products and parts and doing labor and landscaping and I don't even know what else. And then I kind of naturally progressed into flipping homes. And so at the same time as doing that, um, I was researching like where were a lot of people making their wealth. And so I got into real estate for the simple reason, I would say, of, of establishing a certain level of wealth, a certain level of security and income. Um, and I mean, it, it, I did my first, one of my first deals I've told on here, I was in university and I got a check for like $176,000 and I was like, damn son, like this is going to change my life. Well, it did it change my life. And, uh, right in that moment and it's continued to do so. And so I, I kind of got hooked in on like a greed basis, I guess, but like, it was also just to get to a point of being comfy in where I wanted to be. And like, I feel like my true passion was I wanted to really create something, but I didn't have the gonads to go out there and try that. Like I see, I look at people who are like entrepreneurs and founders and they've grinded for 20 years, constantly trying to get something off the ground. Cause that's like, you could like, there's this misconception now, especially because there's so many people in their twenties who've become billionaires and everyone's heard of their companies. But like on average, 99.99% of things fail. Oh yeah. And you could be grinding for 20, 30 years. And there's a ton of people that have super successful businesses that didn't hit until they're 50. Yeah. Right. And like, that's very normal to do so. But to be honest with you, I wasn't prepared to do that um, because I had some lifestyle things that I wanted to experience at a young age. Um, and I think I wanted that financial freedom off my head. I feel like I could achieve better because then I wouldn't get clouded by the money once I started a business. Like whatever business it is, I'd make my decisions purely based on making it the best possible business and not because I needed the money. And so I was hoping mm -hmm. to achieve that by doing this. Um, and I did, I think. We'll see, depending on where I go with this. But that was kind of like the you asked me why I got in. I kind of told you the whole the whole ordeal. But that was that was my my reason to get in. Uh, and it, 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 I would say I've been pretty fortunate. I mean, I'm not done yet, and interest rates might change that whole thing. I might be coming back on here to, to say a yeah. different story. But why why would you say that you got into um, the real estate game? Yeah, I was probably a little less uh, pragmatic about it. Um, I just looked around and saw a lot of my friends, families who you know, we're, we're financially comfortable and, and well-to-do, for lack of a better term, and, and the common thread was uh, real estate. And then having rented and seen the size of the rental market in our city, I was like, well, that seems to make a lot of sense. Was it as sexy then? Uh, no, no. Um, I mean, when I s started doing this, like, it was on my friends' radars, but, like, only like, maybe one or two of them did it with me. Like, like everyone's doing it now. Everyone's trying to, even if it's just one or two or an Airbnb or yeah. or we bought the condo and then we kept the condo and yeah. became a rental and whatever. It wasn't really a thing uh, back then, uh, except for, you know, those that did it, did it a lot. And yeah. those that didn't just had no involvement in it whatsoever. Um, and I also have always done best with things that were really tangible. Um, I hated trying to rationalize or understand the money that existed around things that I couldn't touch and feel. Stonks. Um, yeah, and, and even just things that um, I could get no enjoyment out of. Yeah. Right? Like I like getting practical enjoyment out of whatever I'm doing to make money, and real estate was one of those things that um, 
I like the creative element of it. I like the money element of it. It made sense to me, and I could physically mm-hmm. see it and touch it. And um, I also just enjoy renovations and all that stuff. So that's kind of why I got into it. And then when it went hand in hand with my career path that I knew was not going to afford me a pension, um, you know, was going to have some inconsistencies in income and all these things, it just made a lot of sense. Uh, and it wasn't so much about an aspirational lifestyle, like you're talking about hitting certain points so you could live this, um, you know, enjoy these things. For me, it was more just in order to make sure I can make ends meet, it would make sense to have some of these rentals. And then over time, it became a real source of pride. Like I saw what I could do to a property and uh, reinvigorate a property and then provide a really good space for people to live in and then make that little mark on my community and then see other people develop around my community. Be like, wow, man, I love what they did for our little neighborhood. I would love to do something like that and contribute to my neighborhood in a way too. So it became a combination of, you know, pride, vanity, sense of ego of like, look what I did and look what I mm-hmm. had and, and all that. Uh, but then also this desire to, which is also, I suppose, uh, pride driven to, to leave a mark on my community. And then now more so since, uh, we got our boys, um, it's been about, you know, I have some fears about their cost of living in the future and, and where they might end up and, and not wanting them to go through any financial stress as they try to start their lives and just having a little bit of property to give them a head start uh, is now a big part of my driving motivation. And uh, that's kind of caused me to reassess a little bit because as we joked about last time, like I probably have enough for them that yeah. if I just stopped <laughs> and started paying it down and uh, then when they came of age, whatever you want to call it, I could just give it to them or bring them into the fold or just sell them and give them the money. And it's probably enough to satisfy that. So then the question becomes, well, why do I keep trying to expand? Um, then it goes back to probably the ego thing and whatever, but a hundred percent. And I, I'll actually say like, I started before this, like trading stocks and trading crypto and all that crap. And I hated it. And I was the same thing. I wanted something tangible and lower stress, uh, that was supposed to be easy to manage and, and, and handle. Um, and so I guess the reason that we're asking each other, this is we kind of had a conversation about it. And again, when the market turns, you kind of start to question everything because, it's hard. It's easy to get caught up in it when the market's going up and everything's just going great. Like, don't stop a good thing, right? Like, everyone's yeah. just like, "Ah, well, I know someone who made money here, made some made more money there, and I bought this, and it's been two weeks and it's already worth a hundred thousand dollars more." And like, it's hard. It's so it was so easy there for a while that it was hard not to be doing it, um, and just didn't seem like there's any other option. And realistically, business cycles in every different sector of real estate and every different sector of industry and business. Like that happens, right? They all have their boom and bust period. So it's like something else might go crazy uh, and everyone jumps into it. And so people were jumping into this uh, like like crazy. Um, and so now I wanted to talk about this because I'm getting a lot of clients that are messaging me considering selling the two or three properties that they bought because they're really not enjoying it anymore. Especially because on top of all the interest rates and stuff like that, locally we're getting a lot of rules, which a lot of other provinces and states already have regarding yep. rent control. Yep evictions, leases, short-term, short-term yeah, rentals. I mean. And so a lot of things aren't making a lot of sense. And so I'm kind of inviting everyone that's listening to go back and be like, why do I want to invest in real estate? I understand it's a great investment and it has been for over a hundred years and it's shown to be very stable and stabilized in return. Um, but take a, take a moment to look back and be like, okay, why did I get into this? And I, I told you, Chandler, like I'm kind of going through this moment now where I'm realizing I got into this to achieve a, a bit of financial freedom. And I think I have. I, I've never actually pulled or made any money out of my real estate yet. I've used all my income from being a realtor. 
but I'm getting to a point now where most of my projects are finished and they should be able to cash a little bit and be stabilized. Probably still won't utilize that cash flow to live, but it's something kind of there that has a fallback plan. And that's actually why I, got, I did university, right? Like my parents are always like, if you want to have, you need to have a safety net, mm-hmm. right? Like they came from an environment where um, lots of careers were boom bust, right? It was yep. more frequent, I think, 50, 60 years ago for careers to fluctuate. And so they were like, get an education because the jobs that come with an education are very stable. So even when the economy's down, those people are are employed. And so I went typically, through that. Yeah. yeah, typically. And and now it's changed. It's changed now, I think. But then I think I think on average. So I went and did that. But I again, it didn't actually prove to be that much of a safety net because I wasn't making the amount of money that really gave me any freedom to do anything. There was just enough to pay the bills and then I was out of money again. And so that that's again how I got into the into the real estate idea. And so now that's been achieved, what's what's the future step? And so I have a lot of clients that are looking at this and we've talked about this. They're like, maybe I'll sell one and pay another off and that gives me the cash flow yep. to provide me with what I want. And I don't have any debt. So I don't have to stress about these renewals coming up. I don't have to stress about carrying all this debt over my head. I can't go out and buy other things. And it gives me the extra $3,500 a month on the side, which right now I'm just going to throw all in savings or I want to take $500 a month and use that towards a car payment or a boat payment or a trip every three months. Uh, and the other three grand goes into a savings account for maintenance and other other things. Um, and so, like, that's that's one concept I think people are starting to review. The other option I've had a few clients is they want to just sell the entire portfolio and move it into a business. Because they're realizing right. this is not something that they loved. They, it was a good financial decision to make. It was a good time to buy. It was a good time to make money in that industry. But they're realizing they don't see the longevity in it. They're starting to lose the fire. And so this is the time for them to sell. And they're going to go up. I know one wants to buy franchises uh, of different right. restaurants. Yeah. And that's an interesting model. And, and right now, you know what? On average, when the economy's down and, and things slow, tasty food tends to sell better. Especially the franchise ones that are maybe more economical. Affordable. And yeah. Exactly. I'm going to throw a couple anecdotes at you because I find all this really interesting. And it goes back to the same thing when people take stock and be like, all right, well, what, what am I doing this for? Everyone wants to kind of have the same approach of to some degree what, what we've done, which is grow, grow, grow. Because yep. that's sort of what's sexy, and it's like, oh, man, I got a bigger uh, a yep. unit and like more more doors and blah, blah, blah. Got a huge unit, eh? <laughs> <laughs> you just couldn't let that one go by. <laughs> just checking. Um, and it's true, but that it's not the be-all and end-all. Um, when I first started, and I had like four rental properties <laughs> and my house. I'm still sorry. I, I, yeah? Yeah. No, like, I, okay. I, all right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had four rental properties in your house. You know, my four rental properties paid for my house. You know what I mean? Yeah. The cash flow? And that, yeah. And that was a pretty nice That's little after setup. After you paid all the bills there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was a nice little setup. That's a very nice setup. Right? Very simple. And you, for a lot of how people. How stressed were you? Not very stressed. Well, I wasn't making as much money with my normal job. So I had those stresses and things yeah, like yeah. that. But it was pretty chill. Yeah. Right? Like the money came in, the money went out. Yep. And it was like, I didn't have to put any money in that account to, to pay off the mortgage. That was great. Yep. And so a couple anecdotes related to that. I have a client and friend who was around the same point. He had like four or five properties and it's the same deal. Like they all pay for his primary residence and he's got the means and the wherewithal and the intelligence and all that th- stuff that he could be scaling up. Yep. And in fact, most recently he sold one property and when he sold it, it was like, it kind of was always on his nerves. Yep. He didn't like it. He didn't feel pride for the, the unit itself. Uh, had some tenant turnover that he didn't love and he just sold it. Because he's like, you know what? It's not adding to my life. I'm selling it. Potentially taking away. Yeah. Like if, you, if, you, if you don't equate the financial potential financial gains 
it, it's taking away. And, and like it was actually having a financial gain, right? But it just it wasn't worth it to him, so he yep. just discarded it, uh, and and doesn't regret it for for a second. Um, and interestingly, he recently looked at his portfolio and says, "Well, my goal was to have all of my rentals pay for my primary residence." Yep. Like I now have enough equity that I could sell one or two of my rentals and pay off my primary residence. He's like, so if the goal was just for the rentals to pay for the primary residence, I could now just liquidate the rentals and pay off my primary residence. Mm-hmm. It's not the original model that I thought, but like I get accomplished the exact same thing and I don't have to have the tenants and the liability and the buildings. Like, yes, I don't get the appreciation on those buildings, but I also don't have the tenants, the liability and so-and-so. Uh, and I get arguably more appreciation on my house because I'm, you know, it's going to grow in value as well. And it's an interesting thought. And then it reminded me of, there was this magical little period. <laughs> there was this magical little period during COVID where you could defer your mortgage payments. Do you remember that? I do. People forget about that wonderful time. Uh, yeah, well, I just asked for it now and they're not doing it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I, you know, since they were offering... I said, you, sure. I mean, if, if, if the offer's I on the table. Sure. Yeah, no. Um, and all jokes aside, I was like, all right, well, I need, need to be mindful that if my industry, real estate, like completely collapses here, I won't have income for a while. So mm-hmm. if they're letting me defer these mortgage payments, I'm 100% going to do it. Yeah. And I did. And my God, in How like nice a few it? months, the Run amount cash. of oh, cash man. that can accumulate. And I only did it on my small, like, because I, I think you couldn't do it on multis. You could only do it on small scale. You only do it on a residential, not a commercial. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so I didn't have that. I've got like four or five things that would have qualified. Yeah. By deferring those, it was nuts. I think in something like six months, I had $60,000 accrued, right? That's epic. Like, and that made me realize it's like, oh, so this is what it's like to not have mortgages. I don't have a million payments blowing through. And exactly, exactly. Um, and I'm then, literally sitting here as we say this. I'm like, oh, that month ends in three days. I have a bazillion payments coming out. I got to make sure all the accounts are full. Yeah. And so, you know, in theory, like I have enough equity in certain properties that I could liquidate a couple properties, keep just my best ones and have that income just coming in every month. And I don't do it. And this is what you and I have been talking about. Like, well, why don't we do it? What's, what's the real goal here? And that's what mm-hmm. I re- need to refocus on. And I say this for a few things. Like, one, there's no right or wrong way to do this, right? No. Um, because the other thing that's also pretty great is just throwing your money in a REIT, right? And letting mm-hmm. it do its 6% dividend or whatever it's going to be, right? Especially when you have to buy things where the seller wants you, know, you to purchase it at a 4% cap. You're going to pay a 6.5% interest rate. Like that doesn't make sense. Put that down math 40%. doesn't math. That math does not math. You could just take that money and put it in a REIT or some sort of alternative investment if you want to still have a real estate component. You don't even need to have that. So the takeaways would be: there's no one right way to do this, and know what you're after. Because if you're after the big development and the shiny object and the prestige or whatever that comes with that. If that even just gives you a sense of enjoyment and accomplishment, like it does myself, there's that thing. But if you're just in it to, you know, cash flow or have a certain quality of life or things, be true to that and constantly be evaluating what you're doing in that context. Cause I know I a hundred percent lose sight of that. And I, I think it's, it's hard not to, because again, the money for a lot of these has been so good. So I think we get blindsided by that 
Um, and it's like, oh, like, would you be miserable for this much time for this much money? Um, and so I think, again, like you're saying, figure out where you want to be with it. And again, the other, the lifestyle, like that's where I'm like, I look at some people, I'm like, I think you're going to end up missing the lifestyle that I think is what you went after because everyone we've ever talked to or talk or asked why they're doing it, they say freedom, 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 freedom. And I'm like, but if anything, you've signed 50 documents now that have done the opposite of freedom and they have locked you down. Yeah. Right. So again, this is, we just want to talk about this because it's big on our brains right now. And again, it's a great time to reevaluate. Uh, it's not necessarily the best time in the world to sell, but honestly, in the small to mid-sized rental market, it's still very strong because the rental world is great. Like you can rent them up really easily. And so reevaluating and making a move if you want to is not out of this world. The other thing to consider is diversification. And that's something that's kind of bugging me is the percentage of my money that's tied in real estate. Like, yeah, it's huge. All it's, of my money is. Yeah. that's yeah, So it's, it's like... Again, when it, things are going up, you're like, hell's to the yeah, because I have my whole life in this thing. Yeah. Let's go. When it's going down, you're like, hell's to the no. <laughs> I, yeah. All my money's tied up in this thing. And and it's it can be really scary because you're like, shit, if I go to sell, like, it's, it's, a, it's a falling knife. And so I'm going to get beat down or, you know what I mean? So there's that's the next thing that I think, I know there's a lot of young listeners that might have between two to like five properties. Um kind of take stock for a second and be like wait a second like maybe i should diversify and invest in a business or in in, in a stock um because it's good to have that and and to prepare because i mean this is my big big idea but like real estate could change in a lot of ways we've talked about it a few times with uh vr um with technology as a whole um populations going down like you look at japan populations have gone down um, and so that can really I think population impact it. and public sentiment. Po- yeah, exactly. population. population and government are going to be the two things that well determine the value of, of property for the next forty years. Exactly, yeah. and that, and that's what and that so that those are the things that are going to yeah, impact it. And and again, the other thing is if you look at if you go back back to being like specific to a property, you've got to start assessing like what's it actually going to be worth for you in the long term. Like that's the thing I'm starting to do with a lot of them is like I'm looking at a building being like, okay, wait a second. These are what the rents are going to be. These are the maintenance items. This is what I'm into it for. If I sell and I take the hundred grand out of it, and I invest it in something basic, this is where I'll be in 10, 20 years. Yeah. If I hold on to this thing and I make all these maintenance items and I follow this rent control cap, uh, and I'm facing these issues, I have this much loss of rent. Da 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 da. I might not be any further ahead, but I carried a shitload of debt in the process. And a shitload of hassle dealing with all the people that were involved in it. Yeah. And by no means am I a fan favorite for doing it. Whether I'm out there increasing rents or not, no one's going to like you for it. Yeah, that's true. So it's like, these are the things yeah. to consider. I can see Chandler with real it's like, hmm, I got that roof to replace. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Um, and this is, you know, listen, we're, we're, we're humans, right? We ride the wave and, and I think it's yeah. an emotional time for everyone operating in this space. And people are going to be listening to this being like, wait, isn't this a show about investing in real estate? <laughs> and we're like, maybe it's just, maybe it's just time to not. Yeah, uh, no, sell it pack, all. Pack it in. But um, that's not what I'm saying at all. Cause you might go and do this evaluation and be like, I freaking love this shit. I was with uh, a buddy and I was, we were chatting about it and he's like, I really enjoy making the spaces look really nice. So do I, man. Yeah. 100%. And so, he finds it super fun. He enjoys it. And the, now he's doing it more and he's been doing rentals. And he's like, you know what? Rentals might not be my sauce, but he's like, I want to build homes. 
Yep. And he's like, I don't necessarily want to be someone building 8,000 homes a year. He's like, I want to build one or two homes a year yep. and make them hella nice. Like, I want to make yep. super nice homes that people really, really like, contract build, and actually, <laughs> his girlfriend's dad did that, and he basically contract build. He did one or two homes at a time, and he built beautiful houses, and he enjoyed it. He enjoyed yep. it a lot. He took a lot of pride. I remember whenever I went over to go visit him, like, whenever we went over to go visit them, he was so proud to show me the properties. Yeah. Um, and that and that's special. And that that's like a, a great career. And it's the same with the rentals. Like it is really neat to be able to house people. Uh, and it, and it can be really enjoyable. And and if you put that into your properties, oftentimes your your people will, will give you that back. Um, and so I'm not saying by any means you shouldn't be investing in real estate. Um I am saying I'm I'm considering other options and it's not I'm I'm definitely gonna continue investing in real estate, but I am taking stock and maybe not in this crazy growth mode. Because the other thing is you gotta time your 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 growth modes and what you're doing, right? You gotta go with the wave. And if there was a wave there, it's a great time to go aggressive growth mode and be in in, in that world. Um, but if the wave's the opposite, it's might be again a, an opportunity to take stock and look at what other options there are. The other thing is the types of real estate, right? Like yeah. commercial, retail. Well, office, I think it's also we're just saying like Figure out what it is that you're doing it for and make sure you're not just doing it to throw something up on your Instagram that you're doing it. Um, if it's, Busted. you know, if it's like to make short-term money or long-term money, like what are you actually doing and how is it fitting that plan? Like reassess that plan and make sure you're doing it for the right reasons, I guess. And then figure out how to do it in this particular market, whether that's sitting on the sidelines, whether that's, you know, changing your model slightly or, you know, figuring out something changing your timeline or realizing like, hey, this is actually okay for my timeline because the way I'm building up my business is to be bullish regardless of, of the market for the next four years and then get hyper-conservative after that, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So we've talked about what your goal was, what got you in. Yeah. Everyone would be lying if their goal didn't change, if they didn't, if they said that their goal didn't change once they've gotten in and done some stuff. What, how has your goal changed and what is it now? Well, I think, like like I said, the big change was just having kids and being like, okay, my goal is to make sure that they've got generational wealth, effectively. Like, So that's your only goal now? Um, no. I guess I, I still want to... Unit count number, type of building? I mean, I still want to... I still want to build new. Um, yeah. And again, that is more... Like, that's my grail. Like, and, and that... Mm. We, we both know that in this environment... That's not something you do because it's necessarily the smartest uh, financial investment. Um, yep. It's I want to do it for um, a sense of accomplishment and and um, you know put my mark on on the city. Like I, I do want to do it for that. Um, that is pretty cool, actually. And I'm and I'm stubborn with that. And unit count. It's gonna have Halliburton written across the top like Trump style. Oh yeah, yeah. Just a giant H. Feel like is that a hospital? Like all these helicopters <laughs> just landing there accidentally. Um, unit count. I've been kind of like waffling on lately because I've got enough projects in the pipeline. In theory, I've got enough land to hit 500 doors. Yeah. Right. So it's like, it's well, insane. then why why isn't it 500? Uh, but then I look at the rigors to to get to that point. It's like, man, that seems unattainable. But now 200 seems so easily attainable in a lot yeah. of ways. Um, that uh, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure. I think I'm getting to the point where I'm either probably going to have to go full bore and try to make a, a big run at it to hit 500 doors, um, or I'm probably going to realize that my system is capped at about 200 units and have to, you know, 
go just resale stock and you're gonna start uh, staffing up when you man I, I was doing the numbers on that today and, and wasn't super happy with what the system i have in place right now but um so josh if you're listening that's uh neil's property josh, manager. don't listen to us uh, don't, i'd love to nope, sit down with nope, you nope, um whatever nope, neil's paying nope. i will uh i will better it um <laughs> you and three better, other people have tried for. this it is an this is part of the industry. This is the part that I don't like. There's a bunch of snakes out there trying to take take good staff. I mean, Josh? I took them from Gillum. Josh. <laughs> Come on. Come on, bud. Um, no, so I got I to gotta figure that out a little bit because I'm at that critical mass where it's like, oh, I was piece- piecemealing a few things together. Then you add them all up together. It's like, oh, the the Cost. some of the parts is, is higher than just if I you know, had one person, right? Especially where like you give someone a deal on rent. And it's like, oh, this is great. I'm getting a lot of value for giving someone a free unit. And then the unit skyrockets in value. It's like, oh. It costs me well, $15,000 a year. Yeah, yeah. So that's I got to figure out some of that stuff. And, 100%. Um, 100%. These um, are the challenges, but... I think... Uh, I don't... I, 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 like I said, my goal... I don't think I have a unit count number. Uh, I did think I want to get to 1,000 doors, and I'm kind of still on that mindset. But I'm not going to be necessarily building a bunch of new ones. So I'll probably I'll be buying like packs of old buildings yeah um i definitely want to build a building as well maybe not as big i have a little site down in halifax here that i'd like to to do um it would be really cool to have a big big building i just don't know that i have the mental perseverance to commit to something like that for three four years like i don't know if my self-diagnosed add adhd will be able to sustain the focus a lot of stuff on hold for sure yeah um, and I think in, in, in the coming years, I really, really do want to diversify probably still within the real estate world, but just with some industrial holdings some commercial holdings, um, maybe some office holding farm things. You never know. Maybe I'll just become a massive tomato producer. Um, maybe actually true Nova Scotia form. I should start growing blueberries. Christmas trees and blueberries, man. That's Take what we them. Gotta, that's what <laughs> just blueberry, blueberries grow on the ground. So just like you walk in and it's just like blueberries just all across the floor growing out of the be carpet. Sweet. Um, like I thought it was called vertical farming. Like no, this we just this whole floor is just ground ground berries. Blueberry patch. Um, but yeah, so I could see doing that. The only concern for that, and the thing I'm realizing now as I've shopped some of it, is like, first of all, I don't know what I don't know. Uh, so like, kind of analyzing these deals, I'm like, oh, this seems great. But I remember when I bought my first residential deal, I was like, oh, this seems sick. And like, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. Yeah. But like, I come to realize it was not ideal. Yeah. Right. And so I'm like, I know. I already know. The first commercial building I buy. I'm like, why is no one buying this? It's been on market for two years. Uh, yeah. The numbers are so good. <laughs> and then I'm going to buy it. And I'm like, oh, okay. I get it now. Like, that's not a pizza shop. They're actually selling more than pizza. Like, it, it's it's adding up now. That That's yeah. that's the side income. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, I think that would be uh, interesting to do. Um, and then the other thing would be, like I said, I would like to create a business. And it's kind of funny now that I've gone so far into the real estate world. I've like all the business ideas that I have or like creation ideas I have relate to real estate, right? Cause yeah. it's just like my day to day problems. Solve what you know, you know, solve um, the problem, you know, but real estate's funny because it's kind of so simple. Like it's hard to create, you know what I mean? And there's like a hundred thousand softwares out there now. There's a business. Oh yeah. It's not going to be software based. It's going to be things like boxable and yeah. You know, so it has to go back to something physical branding. and then construction's a really tough one. Like it's a yeah. really, really, really hard industry that hasn't changed in a hundred years, literally. Like yeah. it's changed, but it hasn't dramatically had it gone through a huge refresh. And I'm like, yeah. that's why I'm like, is Boston Dynamics robot just gonna be the thing? Like, are they just gonna start flipping shit up? And now we're gonna be building for thirty five a door, and everything's yeah. gonna be free. I wish they could develop AI for just 
engineering drawings and architectural drawings. She's like, man, here, here's the building code. You can input the building code. You can input the zoning allowances for that area, throw it into AI, and it just designs you a building head to toe. That would be sick. You think? Think of the soft costs that would eliminate. Think about it how up. nice it would be to not have to wait. Yeah, that too. Like, like, do, 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 render. Three months later. And, and like max efficiency. Right? Max efficiency, like, max style. Like they figured out exactly how to get the hallways, exactly how to value engineer to be as cheap as possible. Like that's the program that would... That would be neat too, because it would, could also you could set in like you could start putting in costs towards like excavation and stuff like that, and put in the slope of the land, and the computer could figure it out. Be like, well, based on the slope, the best way to do it, and still maximizing your return. Exactly. Yeah. And you could put end values on things. Yeah. It, it, you get this big giant development site, and it's like to maximize return, just put a little bungalow in the middle. Maybe. I bet you. I bet you there'd be ones that get spit out that you're like, is this an error? And it's like. Yeah. A parking like, no, lot. you're the heir. Yeah, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have bought this. <laughs> you overpaid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, again, I, I, that's a bit of a different topic that we're covering there today. Uh, I'm not trying to be doom and gloom, but it's just we were having this conversation, so we kind of assume some people out there are having conversation. We know they are because there's a lot of sellers out there right now, and we're getting so, a lot of calls from people that want to sell portfolios. Yeah, and and some of them are younger, some of them are older. I'd say a lot of them are older, and, and those are people that are maybe up for renewals or just kind of they got what they run, wanted out of it, and now yeah. they're they're done. Yeah, with, with this climate, they're like, ah, this is probably the time. Little did they know last year was the time because right now they want their cake of the high price uh-huh. and need it too, but it's not going to happen. But, um, so probably there's some young people and, and I've had people approach me about wanting to get in. It's hard right now to be like, yeah, like they send me this place. Like, oh, what about this triplex? I'm like, well, unfortunately that triplex would lose you about $700 a month. It's insane right? how and much like, you lose what? on these places oh, that, right now. That doesn't make sense. But like, then why would someone buy it? It's like, they'd buy it if they want to live in one unit. Yeah. And they're like, oh, so if I, I should get something bigger then, like, you know, maybe if I get six units out of cash flow. No, like, still nothing. I'm like, well, the six units did cash flow if you evict everyone and get them <laughs> to market rents. And by the way, when you buy it, you'll have to put down probably around 35 or 40% to buy it. And like, wait, well, how do people do that? And if I had that amount of money, wouldn't I just put it in the stock market? I'm like, maybe. Yeah. And this is the conversation. So love to know your thoughts on this because I, I assume this is going through some of your minds. If it's not, maybe it should be. Um, that's the last thing I should probably add. And I think it's one thing I'm facing right now. We were talking about earlier is I feel like I lost myself in trying to make money and the eviction started to get like, it starts to weigh in you. And that's why I think building new makes a lot more sense. Uh, and it's, it's not fun for anyone to do. And it's annoying because you bought them as a business and a financial model. But then when you're on the ground, boots on the ground doing it, it's not quite what it's, what it's chalked up to be. Right. And it feels pretty shitty. Um, and so I think a lot of people are facing that now too, where they have mm-hmm. properties and they need to do that and they don't feel good about doing it. Um, but again, that's, that's a conversation for another yeah. time. Yeah. Um, so let us know why you got into it. I'd love to, love to see why some people got into it. Uh, DM YouTube comment would be the best, um, yeah. or even DM us. And, uh, if you're okay for us to read it out loud, well, I guess if you put it in public, you're okay for us to read it out loud. Maybe we'll talk about it. Um, I think most people, it would be financial freedom. Um, but hopefully there's some builders out there that kind of tell us what their objective is whether it's to create housing or to create really cool designs or yeah. bring a certain style to to this area cool all right thanks for listening guys yeah thanks guys take care thanks so much for watching the episode i hope you enjoyed it if you did press like don't forget to subscribe but also check us out on instagram and tiktok you can find all the links below thanks again for checking us out broke i had rich habits uh. when i was broke i had rich habits uh.